This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, isn't it true that we all have or have had or definitely will have relationships in our life that are characterized by bad blood? And sometimes it's a simple misunderstanding, like an autocorrect on a text. Sometimes it goes much deeper and it's more painful than that. In this series, we're trying to discover what it looks like to have peace about a relationship even before you have peace in the relationship. Because we realize and we believe that there's something that you and I can do to have peace about our relationships. Now, the ideal would be that we would have peace in the relationship, but that's not there yet. Peace, hit me slide team, about, there we go, the relationship. There it is. Thank you. Um, I want you to do something for me. I want you to fold your hands. Fold your hands. Everybody fold your hands. That's nice. Like you're clapping for me. I appreciate that. This deserves more than that. Fold your hand. No, come on. Come on, birthday boy. Fold your hands. I know. It's a special day for you. Okay. Now, now, fold your hands with the other thumb on top. Switch them. Switch them. Come on. Switch them. How's that feel? Weird. Weird. Don't like it. Uncomfortable. Okay, you can unfold. The principles we're talking about in this series are counterintuitive. They feel a lot like folding your hands with the other thumb on top. It can be done, but it's not always easy, and it's not always natural, which is why the world around us does not do it. But I'm telling you, friends, the world around us is getting results that you do not want in your interpersonal relationships, in your marriage, with your family. Globally, we're not getting what we want. I mean, come on, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the world, and the 21st century is not shaping up to be a whole lot better. So we need to do something differently. And in this series, we're taking this big idea, and it comes from a guy named Paul, who Paul's backstory is really interesting. He grew up as a Jewish boy and then a Jewish man, a leader in the Jewish community, hating Jesus followers. And in fact, he would go to different small towns and communities, and he would pull Jesus followers out of their small groups and out of their communities and throw them in prison and have them murdered. And then one day on the road to persecute some Jesus followers, he met Jesus. And he did a 180 in his life. And when he did, he started to lead Jesus followers, build churches. You can imagine the temptation towards bad blood that he had. Think about him trying to lead people whose mom and dad he'd thrown in prison or had murdered. Think about the bad blood in those relationships. The Jewish people hated him. Because they felt like he, has, he had turned away from everything. He was a traitor to the one true God. They tried to kill him on multiple occasions. No one really trusted him. He was a guy that was full of relationships that could have been characterized by bad blood. But he tells us that it's possible to have peace about relationships even before you have peace in them. And here's how. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, and this is the key, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. And we talked in week one of this series about the fact that peace is paved with two things. The first is self-awareness. I showed you that pie chart on week one, and I said, listen, all of us like to think that it's 100% their fault, but most likely 
it's more like 92% their fault and 8% your fault. Because I know you, you're a good person. The chances of it being more than 8% is very, very small. But, but what's your 8%? Self-awareness helps answer that question. And I suggested to you on week one, if you have multiple relationships that are characterized by the same type of bad blood, that is to say that your friendships keep going down the same undesirable paths, or if you have one key relationship, a spouse, a child, a parent, a bestie, and that relationship is characterized by bad blood, you owe it to yourself to do some introspection and figure out what depends on you. And there are great ways to do that. A good Christian counselor is key for this type of thing. I'm a big fan of counseling. I have gone to counseling over the years. I'm going to counseling now. It's so helpful to get some understanding on what's going on in here and how I relate to other people. Counseling's huge. Could be a trusted friend. It's definitely God's spirit. Asking God, God, what depends on me? What's my 8% of this mess? So the path to peace is paved with self-awareness and then this other big word, empathy. And empathy, we talked about on week one, is taking the long walk around to see what's going on from the other person's perspective and to feel what they're feeling from their side. And if there's any part of this series that feels like switching your thumb to the other one on top, it's empathy. Empathy does not come naturally to most of us because empathy means that I have to suspend my judgment. And most of us are pretty sure our judgment is right. That's why it's our judgment. Suspend my judgment and walk around to your side and try to see things and feel things from your perspective. But when we do that, it creates the space to begin the process of finding peace in a relationship. And even if it doesn't find peace in the relationship, when you and I have done all that we can do with self-awareness and with empathy, we begin to have peace about the relationship. You could say it this way. In a difficult relationship, self-awareness and empathy can be key to opening up the dialogue, which is what we're going to talk about today. Opening up the dialogue that leads to healthy relationships. Pastor Ron shared with us last week that the next step after self-awareness and empathy is go. If you realize you've hurt someone, go to them. How awesome would it be if you had someone come up to you and say, you know what? I think I've done something that has hurt you. Can we talk about that? Because I don't want to live with this tension. Or if someone has done something to you and they've hurt you deeply, go. Now, it's so interesting, this series, I've been looking forward to it for a long time, uh, and it's one of these series that we all know we want, but it's really hard. Can we just be honest about it? The amount of, like, um, really serious looks I get in this series, this is not easy. But I've heard great stories of triumph over the past two weeks of people going to other people and saying, I think I've hurt you. How can we make it right? Or people coming saying, you've really hurt me. We need to make it right. In fact, I've had multiple people come up to me and say, Kevin, you've really hurt me, but I want to make it right. But we have to go. Because when bad blood relationships come, they start, to, they start to build up like a pressure cooker. And one of the ways we can release that pressure is to talk to other people about the bad blood relationship. But ultimately, after we've talked to people, we feel a little bit better, but we haven't actually relieved the pressure. So the pressure builds back up. 
How do we relieve the pressure? We got to go. We got to talk to the person who we've had the interaction with. And this is so key. I said that there are probably two things more than any other that mark Jesus' followers in the world. The first is generosity. The second is the way that we choose to love one another. Jesus, in fact, says the way that we choose to forgive and interact with and love and go to one another will be a key marker to the world around us that God is real. So I'm going to say something right now, which is a little terrifying because there's a lot of you in this room. If I've hurt you, if I've hurt you, I want to invite you to come talk to me because I want our relationships to be marked by peace. So here's what I'm going to do after service. I'm just going to sit right here and you can form a line. <laughs> Listen, I want to invite you. Come talk to me. Let's make it right. And then I want to invite us to do the same thing with one another. Don't let this series pass you by without going. Today, I want to talk about this big question. What do you do when someone has taken from you? And I'm not talking about some young punk spilled beer on your shoes, and you can't dance, and you can't talk. The only thing about you is the way that you walk. I'm not talking about that. (laughs) I'm talking about what do you do when someone has taken from you, taken your innocence, taken your reputation, taken your job, taken your virginity, taken the best years of your life. What do you do when someone has taken something from you? And maybe you can't get it back. What do we do when it's not as simple as, I'm just going to walk up to them and say, hey, that kind of hurt my feelings. What do we do when it gets real? Because people are real and people can really hurt each other. Another way to say it is this. When bad blood relationships hold you hostage, because that's what really happens, isn't it? When someone has taken from you, it feels like they're holding you hostage. Emotionally, they hold you hostage. You wake up at night and you're just, oh, you're seething. Mentally, they hold you hostage. You know they're holding you hostage. If you're running scenarios in your head where you're telling them off, where you're figuring it out, where they say, you're totally right, I'm totally wrong, it was 100% my fault, there's no 8%, it's all me. They're holding you hostage. And in a world that is an eye for an eye world, our natural tendency is to want to hold them hostage back. How do we hold someone hostage when they've hurt us? We hold on to our anger. We hold on to our righteous indignation. We tell stories about them to other people. We tell stories about them to ourselves. We turn them into the villain of the story where we are the hero. But here's the big idea for today. When bad blood relationships hold you hostage, guess what? God actually wants to be your hostage negotiator. He wants to be the one to set you free. Because if the path to peace is paved with self-awareness and empathy, then forgiveness is the vehicle that moves you down the path. Right now, some of you are sitting here thinking, forgiveness? No, no, no. Churches talk about forgiveness, and when churches talk about forgiveness, they abuse people. They hurt children. I've heard churches sweep things under the carpet when they talk about forgiveness. Let's just be honest. A lot of bad stuff has been done in the name of forgive, live and let live. Let's just move on. That's not what we're talking about 
today. We're talking about, well, let's talk about what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't continuing to put yourself in harmful relationships. That's actually not forgiveness. That's allowing yourself to be victimized. Forgiveness is not refusing to prosecute crimes through the judicial system. That's not what God talks about when he talks about forgiveness. There is a place for justice in our country. Forgiveness is not, this is a big one for some of us, sweeping it under the carpet in the name of grace. Here's what that looks like. You've been hurting me for the past four years, but in the name of grace, I just, I just shoved it down. I didn't want to go talk to you. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. You know, we're all friends here. We're all Jesus followers here. I wasn't going to bug you with it. That's actually not forgiveness. And that's not grace. Grace is not refusing to talk to a person. Grace is the orientation we have when we talk to a person. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is taking yourself out of the seat of judgment. Because you and I weren't designed to live in the judgment seat. We're going to find out in the continuation of the same letter that Paul writes, that there is someone who's designed to sit in the seat of judgment, but it's not you and it's not me. And we need to get out of the judgment seat so that God can actually sit in the judgment seat because we're told that God is the only righteous judge. He's the only one that gets it 100% right 100% of the time. So let's get back into Romans chapter 12. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then goes on to say, do not take revenge, my dear friends. You know what revenge is? Revenge is that spot where we suspend our own morality. Revenge uh, is digging your keys into the side of her pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. That's what revenge is. Now, most of us have too good a character to experience revenge that way, but here's what revenge is as well. Revenge is internally celebrating with the failure of someone else. When they get that DUI, revenge is saying, see, they got what they deserved. When they lose that job, when their marriage fails, revenge is that little thing inside of you and I that's kind of happy with their downfall. And the problem with revenge is revenge escalates. An eye for an eye doesn't usually end with one and one. It usually goes up and up and up. And Paul says that you and I should not sit in a place where revenge is our motive because we will lose the person that we really are and we will celebrate the downfall of another. So he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, let me just be honest. Uh, I don't really like talking about God's wrath. It kind of makes me feel like a TV evangelist. Like, I feel like I need a podium that I can pound to talk about God's wrath. But we got to talk about God's wrath because it's the next line in this in this journey that Paul takes us on. Here's what God's wrath is. God's wrath is the natural consequence of sin. All sin, and sin, if you're new to us, sin are those, those things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do that are hurting us, that are hurting others, 
that separate us from a good and perfect and holy God. And over and over again, the story of the Bible is that the world is marred by sin. It's being destroyed by sin. It's being eroded by sin. And that our lives become eroded by sin until Jesus comes and takes control of our lives and gives us the power to undo sin that's taking control of us. But all sin, all sin, leaves a wake of destruction behind it. I grew up wakeboarding and water skiing and and one of the things I loved was cruising onto the lake on a very flat day. And we'd go out, and when you launch your boat, there's a no-wake zone, right? You know the no-wake zone until you can, like, take off and show everybody how big your boat is. You, um, and uh, so you're going slow in this no-wake zone. And my dad, who's a principal, I love my dad. He's the best guy ever. Um, my dad, who's a principal, likes to be in charge. And so when he was going slowly in the no-wake zone like you're supposed to do, he would notice sometimes there were other boats that were going faster than him and leaving a little ripple behind him. So he would stand up in, the, in his boat and he would scream, this is a no-wake zone! <laughs> and you know what it never did? It never caused the person in the other boat to say, I am so sorry, I didn't realize this was a no-wake zone. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Usually, you know, escalated. But when you think about sin, think about a boat and the boat is your life. All sin leaves a wake of destruction. All sin. And it hurts people around us. And it hurts that relationship that God wants to have with us. Ultimately, it will hurt, it'll hurt you. So we don't take revenge, but we leave room for God's wrath because sin always pays out. It always pays out. And when we leave room for God's wrath, when we get off of the judgment seat, we're saying to God, I trust you with that person. Wrath is wishing for the downfall of another person. But Jesus already tells us, and Paul already tells us, that God's wrath will ultimately come, that sin catches up to all of us. There's no one, that person who hurt you deeply, who wounded you, they will experience the wake at some point. And right now you might be thinking, they're not experiencing it. Don't be so sure. You don't actually know what's going on in here. You don't know that they're not around the corner from that wake coming back and flipping over the boat of their life. When we seek revenge... And I'm not talking about keying someone's car. I'm talking about that little thing inside of us that celebrates with their downfall. We are not leaving room for God because ultimately we do not trust that God is at work and he will work it out. But God always sorts it out when we leave it to him. But unforgiveness shuts God out of the equation, while forgiveness allows or invites God in. Paul goes on to say this, do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for wrath because it's written, it is mine. I will avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me ask you, if you really believed that God was completely good, completely loving, completely just, and that God's 
desire, his, his ultimate desire, would be healing for you, healing for that person, so that you'd all experience the freedom that he desired. And if you and I truly believed that sin really does leave a wake of destruction that hurts people and actually even hurts the perpetrator, how would that change the way that we viewed the other person? My guess is ultimately, if you and I believed that God would repay, we would actually hope for God's kindness to them. We would hope that they would turn from this horrible thing that they've done to you before they experience the full weight of the wake in their lives. And that's exactly what Paul goes on to say. He says, on the contrary, and this is so counterintuitive, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. How would you know your enemy was hungry? You've taken the long walk around of empathy, and you've actually seen that person as a human being. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you're going you're gonna to heap burning coals on their head. That seems odd. <laughs> Let's just talk about that for a second. Paul's actually pulling from this ancient Egyptian practice where if someone was remorseful for something they had done, they would do a public display of it by taking a pan of hot coals and carrying it above their heads so that everyone who saw them would say, oh my gosh, look how remorseful they are. Oh my gosh, they've, and here's a big stained glass kind of Jesus word, they've repented. And repent simply means they have turned from what they were thinking and doing to a different direction. Here's what Paul is saying. When you and I choose to be jerks to people who are jerks to us, we reinforce the fact that they should be jerks to us. But isn't our natural tendency to hate those who hate us? and love those who love us, and be jerks to those who are jerks to us? Isn't that our natural kind of, yeah, fairness sort of thing? Well, not you guys. You're too kind and too good, but like most people. And Paul gives us a totally counterintuitive way to live. He says, your job is to get off the judgment seat. Your job is to suspend the desire for revenge Trust me that I will take care of you and them. And then your job, and this is crazy, is to love them. Is to love them. To serve them. And that's actually going to get you where you want to go. Now remember, forgiveness is not putting yourself back in harmful relationships. I, I feel like I need to be very clear. There are certain extreme relationships where that would become self-abuse. Keep loving, keep serving someone who is hurting you, hurting your children, doing things that are inappropriate. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is choosing to repay, and Ron talked about this last week. It was so good. Repay evil with good. Because when you and I do that, you know what we're doing? We're saying to that person, we're actually leading that person down the very path we want them to go towards. We're showing them, I'm not the monster you think I am. I'm not the horrible person that you've been telling people I am. Imagine what it would look like if your ex, who's a big jerk, if you just started repaying your ex with kindness. You, you fill in ex, ex-spouse, ex-friend, ex-business partner. What if 
What if we started repaying them with kindness? You know what would most likely happen? They would change their thinking about us. And they would repent. And God willing, they would be saved from the wrath that was to come. And ultimately, this is what we want. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what God did for us. He left heaven and came to earth when we were deserving of God's justice and the full weight of the destruction of our own choices. And he loved us and he served us and he gave himself for us in hopes that we might turn back to him. There's this little passage later in the book of Romans that says, don't you know it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? Oh, I love that. I love that. Let me ask you this question. What can you do about your bad blood today? I want to give you two thoughts. First, accept the apology that you never received. What if you started treating that person as if they came to you and said, it's 92% my fault, please forgive me? What if you just started treating them? Because maybe, listen, maybe they can't. Maybe they haven't done the internal work. Maybe they're so lost in their own head that they can't actually apologize. What if you started treating them as if they already had apologized? Accept the blessing or the apology that you never received. And then what if you gave the blessing that they never received? You and I both know this to be true. Hurting people hurt people. That person that has hurt you has been hurt as well. What if you gave them the blessing? Paul talks about food and water. But you and I know what this looks like in the 21st century. What if you gave them the blessing they never received? What if in their healing, they were able to actually bring healing in that relationship, but you were the one to start that? Paul goes on to finish like this. Do not become, be overcome by evil because listen, this is a hard process and it would be very easy for us to become overcome with evil. Evil looks like bitterness, resentment, anger, shutting the door of our hearts to another person. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, peace begins when your demand for payment ends. God promises to repay, and he's completely good and just and loving. What if you just chose to cancel the debt and love them as if they had already apologized? I love what I heard a pastor say not too long ago. He said, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and then finding out that prisoner was you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's good. You should be writing that down. That's so good. So let me ask you this. Would you forgive a debt? And would you take the first step? Would you forgive a debt? Would you accept the apology that you have not yet received? And then would you take the first step? I have a friend who wrote a letter this past week. I have some friends who went and talked to each other this past week. Maybe that's too much. Maybe you can't write a letter. Maybe you can't talk to the person. Maybe they've passed away. Maybe you just need to internally let go. But maybe, 
You need to grab a cup of coffee. Maybe you need to get together. Maybe you need to own your 8%. Because, guys, we will never passively find what we do not actively pursue. And Paul's invitation is to pursue peace. As far as depends on you, as far as depends on me, pursue peace. And then allow God to weave it all back together. Because that's what Jesus did for me, did for hundreds of you. That's what he wants to do for you right now. He wants you to know that he pursued peace. He didn't sit back and say, well, when you get your act together, then, then I'll come. He said, friend, I'm going to treat you as if you have already turned back to me. I'm going to actively go to this world to show you what it looks like to walk in relationship with God. And I'm going to actively go to the cross to give my life as a penalty for your sin, that wake of destruction that you cannot overcome. I'm going to go for you. And here's the crazy, amazing thing about Jesus. He died on a cross and he rose again. And when he rose again, he broke the power of sin forever. You do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. You do not have to be stuck in this relationship that is hurting you so deeply anymore. You can forgive. God does give the power to do it. And it starts by you saying yes. Yes to him. Yes to a relationship with him. Yes to his forgiveness. And yes to being a person who pursues peace in your relationships. If you're ready to start that journey today, I'm going to pray in a second and give you a chance to do that. If you do, I want you to head out to our guest central after service and grab one of these New Believers Quick Start Guides. This is your next step as you become a follower of Jesus, is, is to take some steps in getting to know the God who you're saying you want to follow. And there's some great stuff in here for you. So grab one of these on your way out. I'm going to be up front. If I've hurt you, I really genuinely mean this. If I've hurt you, come talk to me. I want us to be a community that pursues peace. We'll keep the music kind of low in here. If there's someone else you need to talk to, go talk to them. No one's going to think you're crazy. We'll just assume you're talking about how great the bears are going to be in this next season because it's true. I got a name, man. Pursue peace. Pursue peace. Packers fans, pursue peace. Pursue peace. If you're ready to experience peace with your Heavenly Father for the first time, to enter into a relationship with God, you can pray with me now. Would you close me? Would you join me as we pray? God, would you show us the depth of your pursuit, that you pursued us with the peace of heaven, that you pursued us, you were actively, you are the one chasing us down, lavishing your love and forgiveness and grace when we did not deserve it, even before we had asked for it. So for my friends and I in here who are already, who have surrendered our lives to you, would you show us how to pursue peace in our person-to-person relationships the way that you have pursued peace with us? If there's bad blood, God, would you, would you take our hearts that have become hard and entrenched and embittered towards each other, and would you peel away that hardness and reveal a tender and a softness that wants to restore peace. God, would you give us the space to do that in this place? Would this place be a place of healing and hope and forgiveness? 
And friend, if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God and experienced and received the peace of God in your life and the forgiveness of God in your life, you can do that now. You can repeat this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you actively pursued me, that you actively pursued peace, and that you gave your life to pay for the wake of destruction in my life, and that you conquered death. When you conquered death, you gave me the way to experience true freedom with you, and I want to have a relationship with you. So God, come into my life and fill me with your spirit. Would you show me what it looks like to walk each day with you, pursuing peace with those around me? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.